Traumatic brain injuries are a major cause for concern among troops returning home from military conflicts abroad. Development of a new eye tracking device will soon provide immediate assessment of traumatic brain injuries. When will this device be ready to use? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and our guest is Dr. Jam Kajar, Clinical Professor of Neurologic Surgery at Weill Cornell Medical College and President of the Brain Trauma Foundation. The foundation has been awarded research funding from the Department of Defense to develop a new device to expedite evaluations of brain trauma injury on the battlefield. Welcome, Dr. Kajar. Thank you. Today we are discussing new tools for diagnosis and treatment of brain trauma injuries. Dr. Kajar, what are the most common traumatic brain injuries seen in these soldiers returning from combat duty? Well, it's much like what you see in civilian traumatic brain injuries. So the spectrum of traumatic brain injury goes from concussion, which is mild traumatic brain injury, all the way to severe, which is coma. And if you look at the percentages, about 90% is mild or concussion, and 10% is severe. Now, how do they get these, by explosions? Actually, you'd be surprised. If you look at the entire Army, most of it's just like civilian traumatic brain injury, mainly car accidents. So troops on the ground in their vehicles getting into accidents, falls, assaults, usual things that physicians see at emergency rooms are the most common. However, in Baghdad, what's happening is these improvised explosive devices are going off, and you're obviously getting a group of very severe traumatic brain injury, people in coma with penetrating head injury and so on. But you're also getting, in a wider perimeter from the bomb blast, people that do not have penetrating head injury, but afterwards complain of symptoms, of concussion symptoms. They can actually feel the impact of the explosion? Well, that's something that the Army is now exploring. They're putting these accelerometers in the helmets of the soldiers to see if they can pick up some kind of force. What is an accelerometer? Well, just a device that picks up whether you're moving or not. And so, obviously, if if you put on a helmet and a blast goes off and your head whips around, then it should pick up any kind of movement. So the Army's trying to get into figuring out when somebody's being exposed into what, what kind of force and how strong is that force, and then afterwards, if somebody's symptomatic. So in general, what they're seeing in Baghdad is they're seeing a severe traumatic brain injury, people in coma and penetrating head injury, but they're also seeing the major problem for the Army right now is not so much diagnosing people with severe traumatic brain injury, because obviously they're in coma, you can, you can tell that they've been affected. It's people who have concussion symptoms, and the same issue occurs in sports. They have the same, same problem. Well, when you're in a war situation, it certainly is different than being in a community with a hospital and all the possible things that you can do to evaluate them. How do you deal with them in this situation in wartime? Well, they have a number of screening tools that they can use to they ask the soldiers certain questions and ask if they have symptoms, and then based upon that, it's not much like the concussion guidelines or algorithms they use for football players on the sideline concussion guidelines. They ask them questions, and if they're fuzzy, they have problems with their memory, then they hold them back. So, But these are very imprecise tools, and the, the bottom line is you don't know whether there are two factors. One is whether a person has a significant brain injury that may get worse, and two is whether they've had a concussion and they're going to have symptoms that are going to impair them so that they won't be able to pay attention and they'll end up getting another injury. So this is the real issue for the military right now. Then what does this new device actually evaluate? 
Well, you really have to go back a little bit. The problem with, with concussion is that it's so close to the normal condition that it's very difficult to parse out. So somebody who's had a severe traumatic brain injury, it's not difficult. The person's in coma, there's, there's brain swelling, there's so and so forth. And the Brain Trauma Foundation develops the national guidelines with the American Association of Neurological Surgeons, the national guidelines for severe traumatic brain injury. So we've done pre-hospital guidelines for the ambulance workers, and we've done the paramedics, and we've done in-hospital guidelines and we've actually done combat guidelines, too, so field guidelines for how you should take care of somebody with severe traumatic brain injury. So there's not much issues there. In fact, that's why a lot of the lives being saved in Baghdad are because of application of evidence-based medicine. And so we have a lot more survivors. The problem is in diagnosing concussion. And, and this is an issue that I was trying to tackle about eight years ago, trying to think about concussion, because obviously the Brain Trauma Foundation is interested in the best outcome of people with traumatic brain injury, whether it be concussion or severe traumatic brain injury. And you really have to go back and understand what attention is because the major cognitive function that is affected in concussion is attention, paying attention. And so when you go to the neuroscience of attention, it, it gets to be a little fuzzy. So we had to actually go back and we got funded by the McDonald Foundation to look at people in the emergency room who had concussions, and we did high-strength MRI, they called diffusion tensor imaging, DTI scanning, which is becoming more and more common, but still a research tool, to look at white matter connectivity. And we did this at Cornell and, and UC San Francisco and followed patients for a year. And the bottom line was that the hypothesis was that a concussion causes whiplash of the brain, a rotational shearing, and tears the white matter tracts where the brain's connected with these axons. And produces diffuse axonal injury, which is a term that a lot of physicians know about and connect it with severe traumatic brain injury. Well, if you just make it a spectrum, you can get just a few tears, and some people call it traumatic axonal injury, a few tears and, and get symptoms of concussion. So we actually had to sort of step back and look at this from a scientific point of view and say, what's going on with attention? What's the anatomy of it? And it turns out there's a tension circuit in the brain, basically the right prefrontal cortex, the parietal lobe, and the cerebellum. And when they're all connected, you can pay attention. But if you get shearing or any tears in the white matter connecting those areas, you end up with concussion symptoms. If you have just joined us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and with me is Dr. Jam Kajar, Clinical Professor of Neurologic Surgery at Weill Cornell Medical College and President of the Brain Trauma Foundation. We're discussing new tools for diagnosis and treatment of brain trauma injuries. Dr. Kajar, you were mentioning about problems with attention. How is that related to tracking eye movements? When you're paying attention to something, you're actually, your brain's in a predictive state. So you actually have to be ahead to take in incoming information. What you're doing is you're just synchronizing with what you expect to what actually happens. So from an early age, we learn things and we have cues that make us expect. And then what we do is we expect, and when that synchronizes with what we actual information comes in, we synchronize and we go, aha, and move on to the next thing. We're, we do that continuously. So as you hear me talking, you're expecting me to talk. You can get a sense of what it's like when you're on a cell phone conversation with somebody, and their speech comes in at variable times. It's very annoying, and you can't keep up with it because you're expecting the speech to come a certain cadence. You're keeping up with it. You're a little bit ahead. And so this synchronization process is very important in, in attention. And if, if you don't have it, if your timing is off, 
or you're out of sync, then you have major problems because then you get error signals, you're trying to keep up, and you can't do it. And so one of the things I've noticed in patients with concussion, or fatigue for that matter, is that if you look at reaction times, they tend to be slow on the average, but the most important part of it, they are variable. So if you look at variability being an index of, of attention, and that's something that we've done research on, is looking at not so much the reaction time. So most neuropsychological tests are involving, you know, press a button as soon as you see the yellow triangle, for instance. And they, what they do is they take your reaction times, they average them, and they get a standard deviation. That standard deviation is the variability or jitter around the mean. And that jitter or variability goes up as you get older. It goes up if you have a traumatic brain injury. It goes up if you're fatigued. And basically, it represents, reflects how well you pay attention. Well, why is it related specifically to eye tracking as opposed to other means of showing that you're paying attention? A lot of people use processing speed with neuropsychological tests to look at how well you're paying attention, how fast your reaction times are. And in some cases, they look at the jitter around your reaction time, and and they correlate that with attention measures. Now, why did you decide then to make this device focusing on eye tracking? If you look at reaction times, you get one reaction time maybe every couple of seconds. I show you a yellow triangle. You press the button as soon as possible. So at best, every three seconds. Now, with eye tracking, if I have, let's suppose I have a a 1,000 hertz camera, that means it takes 1,000 shots per second of where my eye is, and I'm looking at a target. That's a predictable target. I know where it's going to end up. And the most common thing we use is basically a dot going around the circle. So I'm watching this dot going around the circle, and I'm actually a little bit ahead of the dot because I'm, I'm being predictive. I know the dot's going around the circle. I'm going to follow it as closely as possible. The camera picks up where your eye position is in relationship to the dot, the dot going around the circle, every millisecond. So instead of getting a reaction time every three seconds, I get a reaction time every thousandth of a second. So using eye tracking, I can pick up variability or jitter thousands of times a second, whereas I'd be lucky to get one reaction time in there. How can you differentiate fatigue versus a true concussion? The major problem with concussion or fatigue, or for that matter, any of us at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, (laughs) is attention. It's all about attention. Attention is our window into interaction with with each other and, and the outside world. And if there's any jitter in that attention process, we perform poorly. We get more errors, and we've got to use other mechanisms in our brain to try and compensate. That produces irritability and headaches and so on, which are concussion symptoms. And so what this process does is that it can pick up a lack of attention or attention processing problems very, very quickly. And so what we're doing right now is this Army grant is to say, And we published papers already showing that if you take people with concussion from the emergency room and you do this MRI with diffusion tensor imaging and you can pick up little tiny tears in their brain, there is a correlation with the tears and their eye movement problems. And also when you use just a regular neuropsychological test for attention and working memory, there's a correlation. How big is this device? Eye tracking systems are commercially available. You can make them quite small. And what we're doing for the Army is we're going to make this into a pair of goggles you just put on, and then within 30 seconds you can diagnose whether somebody has an attention problem. Now, what we're also doing is that we're basically looking at the software in this, and we can detect whether somebody is, has a brain injury or they're fatigued. So if you look at somebody, I, mean, I remember giving a lecture to the neurosurgery residents about attention and variability and the signs of concussion, and I was going over them and telling them this is 7 o'clock in the morning after one group of residents had been up all night, another group was coming on, 
And I said, well, you know, the post-concussive symptoms are memory difficulty, attention deficits, decreased concentration, feel fatigued, may have a headache, may have some bounce coordination problems. And I'm looking at them and saying, that's you guys. So the difference between somebody's fatigue versus somebody who has a traumatic brain injury is that the resident goes home and sleeps for eight hours, wakes up, and is back to normal. Whereas the person with a concussion goes to sleep, wakes up exactly the same. That's the difference. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Jam Gajar. We've been discussing new tools for diagnosis and treatment of brain trauma injuries. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com, now featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll-free at 888-MDXM-157. And thank you for listening.